I'm Terry Taylor, and this is the Interior Design Business Academy podcast. As an interior designer, you may be thinking, I love what I do, but I am so overworked and underpaid. Let me tell you, I've been there too. I spent many years learning from my own mistakes and developing proven strategies and systems to make interior design a profitable career while keeping it fun and creative. So now I'm here to help you get paid what you're worth. If you're ready for some straight talk about how design business really works and you're ready to break through old belief systems that are holding you back and shift into beliefs that support your goals and bring lasting success, you are in the right place. Hey, this is Terry. You know, in my last few episodes, we've been talking about jobs that are just too small to be profitable and how to recognize them, how to get out of the hustle and recognize what's too small and either turn them into something that's profitable or say no, right? Well, there's another category of job you want to watch out for, and that's the really big jobs, the really, really big, juicy, juicy jobs that we all want, right? But what's happening for many, many designers is they get into these jobs, they put their heart and soul in it. It takes a year and a half, two years, something to get through all this. And it's fabulous at the end. It's absolutely gorgeous. We get it photographed. It'll probably get published. Um, no problem. However, the designer at the end, after she received all this money, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this and paid everybody she needed to pay to make it happen, ended up with nothing for her. Okay, there's nothing left. Now, it, it happens fairly often. It happens more often than we really want. It big jobs like a $5,000 furniture job, which is sweet, right? That's a, that's a nice chunk of money to spend on furniture. You can do something really creative and beautiful with that. Um, however, you know, in, in 500000 on furniture, you should be able to run 40 or 50% gross profit. That is, have two hundred thousand dollars of that five hundred be on your side of the fence. Okay, now <laughs> that's not happening, right? <laughs> it just doesn't seem to be happening, right? And we got to say, all right, what's why, 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 right? Or a big remodeling job. These are often worse. You've got this this eight hundred thousand dollar remodeling job that you've been working on for a year and a half. I mean, it's almost down to the studs, back up again, furniture in it, done, you know, get this whole thing completed, but coming out with nothing or a pittance by the time you pay everybody off. When the reality is that that kind of job should run no less than 30% in your pocket or about 240000 of that eight hundred should have ended up on your side. So if it's not, why not? All right, let's take a look at this. Let's take a deep look and see. Because, of course, some of it's mindset, of course, and then some of it's technical, right? Now, the mindset side is that that there is an enormous lack of planning because the idea of a $400,000 furniture budget and a concept that the client likes and you like and the money's there to do it is intoxicating. It's like, oh, I want to get my fingers in this. Let's do this now, right? I mean, it's really exciting and really fun. However, to do it without any planning is foolish, right? The same thing can happen with, with the remodeling jobs. You know, without the plan, without thinking about 
and planning out how we're going to do this job and projecting out where the profit is in this job and how it's going to come to me and how much time I'm going to spend in this, it's likely I'll come out with, with zip. Luan Nagara calls it money laundering. <laughs> when you take in a whole bunch of money and then you pay everybody and you churn it all through all those systems and when you get done, there's nothing left. That's a lot of work for nothing left. Okay, so let's stop and take a look at what's going on here that's causing that kind of problem because it's, it's pretty endemic. Okay, I talked to quite a lot of designers who, who, you know, have great reputations. They do fabulous, beautiful work. They do big jobs, but the profit line isn't there. All right. Why? Well, it's, it's really lack of planning. Okay. And the lack of planning comes from that, <laughs> that adrenaline, that intoxication over, you know, having a great, great concept and really want to go after this and, and, you know, get started now and let's just do it. Let's just jump into it. Jump in anywhere. Well, without a plan, <laughs> without a plan, you're likely to end up with no profit. Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about how that works. First of all, you got to realize that that you have a really clear plan for the design of the project, okay? And you wouldn't ever step into that without having that really clear plan figured out, right? I mean, that's our process. We use, we all use it. It works really well. It gets us from concept to completion with 95% of what we conceived in our head coming out on the other end, right? That's fabulous. It works really, really well. However, you need to understand that is a process for doing a design project. It's not a process for a business to create the project, okay? So I know that's a little bit, uh, that might be a little mind-bending there, but, but you have to put your owner's hat on. You know, when you're a designer and working in design and doing, creating the product that your business actually sells, you're one of the worker bees, Okay. You have to step out of being the worker bee and into the owner side and create a plan for how your business is going to do this job, right? And be profitable when you hit the end of it. Okay. And that plan is just as important, just as, as critical as having a plan for doing the design. Now, you know, we know that that if we deviate from or try to pull off a job without planning, without, you know, would you ever buy furniture without space planning? Never, never. I mean, you'd, you'd, you know, it would be some expensive mistakes in there, right? You know, you just, you just don't do it. Even, even if you do just a little abbreviated piece sometimes before you go out and do retail shopping or something like that, you still always have a plan. Okay. The problem here is that your business doesn't have a plan for how to do this job. Okay. And it's not that hard to do, but it does take some focus on the back end of your business, not just the front end where you're creating beauty. And I know you do that really well, but the back end, the mechanical pieces, the financial pieces, how does that all work and support you? Okay. And it's not just people. The first thing I want to talk about is your vendors. Now, you know, when you're, when you're in school, they pretty much, you know, you pretty much are encouraged to design off the internet. You just go looking around for stuff and find things and go, okay, that's great. That's terrific. If you do that within a business, um, you'll never have good margins on your product because you're buying one-offs from 10,000 different people. This one and that one and this one and that one. You're creating a massive amount of bookkeeping. Um, 
and you don't have any developing relationships with the people in the business that could help you. Um, and what I'm talking about is think of this in terms of, of, of paying attention to who your good, better, best vendor is for upholstery. Okay. Now that could be three different ones. Or it could be two, it could be three, but at any rate, these vendors are capable of producing the kind of upholstery that you most often use, that your clients want, that sits well, you like the construction, you like their fabric package, so you don't have to COM every single thing you do. Um, you, you know, you've got, <laughs> you've got a relationship with this company in that you buy enough from them that A, you have a really good even as far as stocking dealer relationship with them. So your upholstery is really profitable. And nine and a half times out of 10, you use this company for all the upholstery that you sell in your projects because they're very versatile. You can get what you want. You know the rep. The rep knows you. She helps you, supports you, helps you with problems, um, you know, gives you extra deals. Uh, you know, there's, there's, something very important about having that relationship with a company that you're going to buy from and they know that you're focused on them, they'll take care of you. They'll take good care of you. And it will allow you to have the kind of margins you're supposed to have. You can't, you can't sell stuff with, you know, 20 off, 10 off, 20 off, 30 off. It doesn't, there's not enough room to run a business. Okay. And if you're a bricks and mortar business, you need more than that. All right, so you know that's where I came from. I mean, I had studio with <laughs> with six designers at one point, and you know, and a big backup staff to make all that run. It mean it means that those margins have to be in the right place so that what you're selling is profitable. Okay, so what I'm recommending here, what I want to recommend to you, is that when you're looking at the vendor side of your business, now this is this is the back side of the business. This is the 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 systems and stuff that goes in the back that supports you. And systems aren't just um, a written down way of doing things, which you know it, it is in its place, but but it's also being aware of where these pieces of profit come from. So besides having an upholstery uh, vendor that you use on almost all of your jobs, you need a case goods vendor that you could use on most all of your jobs, okay? Something that's your go-to, right? And they have a lot of variety, a lot of finishes. You know the quality, you know the rep, you know they stand behind them. You know, you have this relationship with them and you buy it from them at a really good price so that when you sell it at retail, Okay. At retail, you've got to stop this cost plus thing. Okay. <laughs> you, so when you sell it at retail, you've got a nice big fat margin in between and you deserve that. Okay. Design is one thing. Design, you get paid to design. And, and if you're paid properly for design, you will be profitable just on that without selling any product at all. Okay. Just design. Okay. And then the product needs to stand on its own and have its own profit centers and be run separately and be its own, own income stream. Okay. Now what will happen is, and I'm not, I'm not telling you to design down or make things dull or boring or anything like that. What I'm saying is you've got to balance what you're doing with, with, with the relationships on the back end at the same time. Now, if you can do 70 or 80% of those of your job with those those good dealership relationships you have, either stocking dealer or a showroom that handles everything for you and gives you 50 off. That's a great, that works really well too. 
Um, if you, if you've got that kind of piece going, you're going to be fine. The profit's there. You just need to run at retail. Now, this whole, this whole thing of retail works way better. Let me do a little explanation of that. When you say cost plus, cost plus 30, cost plus 40, that sort of thing, um, that is how we used to do it. I did it for years, but it's been more than 25 years ago when I was doing that. I've been changed that for a long time ago. But when you're running on that purchasing fee thing, what they're thinking is that they are paying 30% more to have you do that. Okay. They do not do the math in their head and realize that cost plus 30 is way less expensive than retail. That doesn't, it doesn't compute for some reason. I don't know why, but it doesn't. Trust me. If you think about it, I'm sure you'll agree with me. They do understand retail. Retail is what you're paying for. Now we're going to say, Oh, everything's on sale on the internet. Well, it's, it, <laughs> everything can be on the sale on the internet. We don't know those people. We don't know if they have the product. We don't know if it's real. We don't know if they stand behind it. We don't know anything about them. So, you know, what's on the internet really has nothing to do with what you're doing. The idea that a, a designer who's providing white glove service and design for a client and going to compete with the internet with with sale prices is an oxymoron. That's silliness. Okay, that's that's just silliness. And if you've got somebody who thinks they need to do that, then just design for them and give them a purchasing list. You know, and charge them twenty percent of the budget for the purchasing, and make sure the list is really complete, and you're done. Okay, walk away because that is not your client. Your client is a person who wants this white glove service. They want everything taken care of. They want you to do it, okay? And you're going to give them really good quality for the money. That's the bottom line. I will make sure that you get good quality for the dollars spent, okay? I will not be the cheapest price on the internet, okay? I go off on that tangent. Yeah. So, so when you're selling at retail, Okay. And you've got 70, 80, 85% of this with your good vendors where you've got good margins. Then when you buy what I'll call the jewelry, you know, the fun stuff, the, the interesting lamps or whatever unusual things that you want to put in there to really make it special. It's great. No problem. If you don't have a lot of margin on that, you already made it on the other stuff. I mean, if you've got to use some vintage pieces or that sort of thing where there's not that much room in it, um, no problem. Okay, no problem at all. So this whole idea of figuring out the back end of your job first before you make the offers is really important. Now, the other half of that is focusing on time, all right? Time is money as well. There's product money, there's time money, okay? Now, <laughs> when you're billing out time, it, you know, it's, it's one thing, it's one thing or the other, right? Often you don't bill as much time as you're actually taking because, because it took longer than it should have. Okay. Why did it take longer than it should have? Because you didn't have a plan for how long it should take. You know, when you're, when you're fee based, you're much more likely and, and focused on this because you have X dollars for time that we've already agreed on that you're already getting paid for. So you would take that amount and divide it into your hourly rate, and that would tell you how many hours you need to get this job done. Then you could plan a budget based on hours, just like a money budget, you do a time budget, and you figure out where to use those hours and how all that's going to work. That way you come out profitable on your time, and you don't just use it all up by, by not paying attention. So 
one of the things I want you to think about, and this is kind of a more defined illustration, is, is if, if your design assistant, okay, who you bill out at $80 an hour, okay, um, she spends eight hours looking for a chair. She finds a great chair. You're going to use it. It's great. But the chair costs $1,200. Okay. You know, eight hours at, at $80 an hour is $560 of time for a $1,200 chair. That doesn't make sense. Okay. You all know that doesn't make sense. And you sense it when you're doing hourly bills, like they're, they're too high. It's too high for what we're doing and what we're selling. You, you pick it up that way too, and then you end up giving it away. This way you focus on how much time it should take. So if you didn't tell your design assistant that it shouldn't take eight hours, and, and but she does do eight hours to figure this out, and you do that 50 times over the course of a job, 100 times over the course of a job, that's where your profit went. You're paying people to to just wander around and flounder rather than be focused on what they're doing. The reality is that that about three hours of time is what could be allocated to that chair. And that designer needs to know that, that, you know, you're going to work on this for three hours and then you stop. Show me what you got. I'm sure you got something pretty good by then. You know, it's we're not creating the Mona Lisa. It's not the masterpiece in the end of the world, right? It's a good, solid decision for the amount of time it takes. So there's this balancing act between time and being paid. And without a goal or a plan for how much time it should take to do these different sections of this job, you're likely to run over enormously, pay your people way too much, um, spend too much of your time on it and not come out with anything on the end. All right. So, so there's the other side of that. So there's a, there's a vendor relationship with where's the money. And then there's a time relationship to the job in terms of how much time this should take and how we're going to do this. Right. That, that needs to be figured out ahead of time. Now, will you do it perfectly? No, you won't. But every time you do it, you'll do it better than you did last time. And having a target to aim for is going to get you way closer to where you want to be. Eventually, you know, maybe a year from now, you'll be right on the nose. And maybe a year after that, <clears throat> you'll finish that job in less time than you have in your feet. Okay? I mean, it's, it's, all about, it's all about planning and having a system, a repeatable system that you can rely on and plan these things out so that you've got a profit as part of the plan. Okay? Now, the way you begin having profit as part of the plan is with a good letter of agreement. And that usually doesn't get enough time spent on it for that same reason. We're totally intoxicated and running on adrenaline based on this concept we've got and the creativity is flowing and you've got a client, you got the money, and you just want to do it. So you whip out this letter of agreement, you take 10000 20000 up front for your time, and off you go. Okay? Bad idea bad, bad idea because there's nothing in there. There's no rules. There's no game plan. There's no framework. Having having a good framework in the letter of agreement um, about, about what and where you're doing specifically, okay, is incredibly important and exactly what the deliverables are, you know, and how many, how many do-overs, how many revisions. Let's get really clear on that. Right. So that, you know, if if things are running amok or somebody's asking for more, it's not scope creep. It's adding on the job. It's an upsell. It's it's more time being paid for and more product. OK, 
So in that, the only way you can do that is by having a really concise letter of agreement that says exactly what you're doing, which means you have to take a breath and slow down. Okay. The other thing that letter of agreement can have in it is client responsibilities. Client responsibilities about getting back to you, clients' responsibilities of burying you in emails, client responsibilities of um, ghosting you or leaving town on a vacation and not telling you and you have no idea what's going on and you're in the middle of a job. I mean, that's those kind of things destroy your job, destroy the profit in your job. They destroy the creativity too, which is unfortunate. But, you know, we all know that you kind of need to get in it and flow with it and make it happen. So the the parameters for the client could be in that letter of agreement too. So that kind of stuff doesn't happen to you and you can come out of the job with a gorgeous job and a profit. Okay. Now, one of the big, big pieces here is, is you know, turning that scope creep into an upsell. Um, I've had a lot of jobs where I started out really small and just did add on, add on, add on. You, you know, it's the same thing that happens when you're doing hourly. It's just, what about, you know, we used to call it the by the way clause. By the way, when you look at the fireplace, by the way, about the hall bath. And you just keep adding on and adding on. This can happen in fee-based design too. But what has to happen is you have to recognize it's out of scope and needs a new letter of agreement with a new set of rules and a new payment. All of those things, rather than just racing through it, saying, oh, I'll just take care of that. Oh, I'll just take care. Oh, it'll just be a couple hours. I'll just do that. Well, it isn't. It turns into some big, giant thing that just eats up your time and your money. Okay? Um, letters of agreement are are really important because they're really creating a template for you to do this job so that as you run through all the items in it, you know you've completed. You know when you're done. Okay. A lot of times there's just no, it's so hazy. Not only does somebody not put an end date in it, it just doesn't really say all the things that you're going to do so that you can check them off and go, okay, I'm done with this contract. I am complete. All right. The other thing that I think can be really helpful for you is that a good letter of agreement can address construction support. And this often happens in, well, obviously in a remodeling job, there's a whole bunch of it. In new construction, there's a whole bunch of it. Even sometimes in little jobs that are furniture jobs that involve some backgrounds, you get caught in it. What you need to do is to be very specific about how you handle that and how much construction support is included in this contract so that when it runs over, and it will, you know it will, it's the it's Murphy's law of design, right? When it runs over, you're in a position where you can ask for for more financial support to cover these things. Okay, this this is how you end up in a profitable design job. Okay, so you know these are all pieces. Um, I think they're fascinating. I really have a good time with this stuff. This is all stuff that I teach at Interior Design Business Academy, and the way we teach it is not laid out you know, step by step, do this, do that, you know, memorize this, and then someday when it happens, you'll know what to do. But we take the jobs you're working on and help you block out something like this. Have you take that opportunity and block out how much time, how we're going to spend the time, who are the vendors, how are you going to do it? With with a little help in that front end, then these jobs run on the other end on a consistent profitability piece as well. 
So, you know, finally, in, in the closing of that piece, it's, it's knowing your numbers and understanding your numbers. Um, if you get into a job and you just put your head down and you work and work and work and work and you just, you know, you're turning the money, turning the money and not paying attention to how it looks from 30,000 feet or where you're at, it's likely that you'll end up in a position to have no profit at the end. Okay. So getting this plan set and in place before you start will hold you through the whole thing so that you've got profit in your bottom line on the other end. And, you know, I like, I like working on those projects with our designers because it's really, it's really fun when you have something that's real and it's going on and we can, we can figure out how to do it. And then you work your way through it and it manifests the way you wanted it to in the first place. It's like, Oh, I got this. It's so cool. You know, it's so cool for you. It's so cool for me too. So <laughs> with that thought, design something beautiful and get paid what you're worth. Bye now. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Interior Design Business Podcast. If you love what you're hearing each week, let me know by leaving a rating and a review. And don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss out on clear, proven, repeatable, step-by-step recipes for attracting ideal luxury clients I share in each episode. As always, you can head over to interiordesignbusinessacademy.com to check out the links and resources from this episode. Till next week, design something beautiful and get paid what you're worth.